room, there's a number of people that are in different spots and different circumstances and different situations, but I just sense God is, is wanting to tell you this morning that he knows exactly where you are. Regardless of the storm, regardless of the size of the wave, regardless of how devastated or blindsided you may have been by that, he's never forgotten you. He's never left you in that place alone. He's with you. He loves you. He cares about you. He's for you. sing this again and I just want all across this room maybe you're going through the storm right now maybe you haven't even seen the victory yet you don't feel like you've made it to the other side I want you just to declare in this place that your eyes are on him that our trust and our confidence is in who he is when our own ability seems limited and lacking God is able in every circumstance in every situation to lead us through to the other side he's with us He's promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. This morning, would you just declare that over your life and over that situation and allow God to do what he wants to do here this morning?
God, we thank you for your presence here in this place. I thank you for how you're moving across this room right now, speaking to hearts and lives. Lord, I pray that you would just move and Lord, let this message that we're about to receive this morning come alive and, and penetrate into our hearts and our lives. God, we open our hearts to receive. We come against the enemy that would try to deceive and keep us from what you have for us. But God, I pray that your word would shape us into who you would have us to be as your people. We thank you for what you're doing here. Thank you for your presence in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you put your hands together and give the Lord a standing over to Amen. You can be seated this morning. Isn't God's presence so good? It is awesome. Let our worship team know how much you appreciate them this morning and leading us into God's presence. This morning, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 10. We were there a couple weeks ago. We're going to look back there briefly today. Also, if your Bible doesn't is not the kind that, that contains pages and you have a, a smartphone or a tablet device, you can uh, look at the Bible app on, on version. And there's a live events section there, and you'll find our service listed, and it has the scriptures and notes from the sermon that you can follow along with right on your phone and save that for later. Add your own commentary to it if you like, so we want to make that available to you as well. Uh, we're in this sermon series called I Love My City, and we've been discovering the heart of God for our city and challenging ourselves to love our city and love our neighbor because God loves our city and every soul matters to God. Last week, we talked about how as Christians, despite our best intentions, and we know that good intentions are not good enough, but we can find ourselves doing it wrong. Knowing all the right things that we should know, we don't have a, a how-to problem of the mind, but a want-to problem of the heart. And the challenge at the end of the message was that if you believe all the right things, but you don't put them into action, then you're doing it wrong. And so it wasn't a message that was intended to discourage. Maybe you've been racking your brain all week trying to figure out, like, if I'm doing it wrong, then what is it that I'm supposed to do? Well, today, the message is titled Love Like This. And I want to give you some of those answers because I don't want to leave you on you're doing it wrong. I want to give you some examples of how we can really love our neighbor, how we can love our city and make a difference in the world around us. So hopefully the message didn't discourage you, but I hope it helped you to jumpstart that question in your mind. What is it that I'm supposed to do? How is it that I'm supposed to love this city, love my neighbor, and all those kinds of things. And so I want to back up a few scriptures uh, a few weeks ago where we were in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verse 28 and then also verse 36 and 37. But this is the story of the lawyer that comes to Jesus and uh, he asks him what he has to do to inherit eternal life. Ultimately, Jesus shares with them the story of the Good Samaritan. But there's something here that I want us not to overlook and I want us to go back and see because Jesus really says it twice. He says it in verse 28 and then again in verse 37 uh, of, of Luke chapter 10. Um, so, so Jesus is asked by this lawyer, uh, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what does the law say? He tells them that the two great commandments, love your Lord your God with everything that you have, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this in verse 28, you've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Now do this and you'll live. Basically, you know all the right stuff you're supposed to know. Now why don't you do it? Why don't you live that out? And, and then he goes into the parable of the Good Samaritan. And he wraps up that parable in verse 36 and 37, which says this. 
Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Jesus made it clear that his, his story of the Good Samaritan, this parable that he told, was never intended just to be a teaching. The application of the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul, to love your neighbor yourself, it's never intended just to be theory. It's meant to be lived out in the life of a believer. Back a week before that, we talked about Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. It says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it again be made salty? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on the hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. If you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. But he doesn't leave us there. Instead, they put it on the stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. If you're hiding your light, if you're concealing your light, you're doing it wrong. But instead, do this. He says in verse 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Over the last several weeks, we've talked about James chapter 2, about how it says that faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. It's not simply a message that we're supposed to hear and go away and change, but it's something that's supposed to change us and that we have to live out. The pattern that we see is that there's something that we need to do. An action that needs to be taken in order for us to truly love our city. I think if Jesus were preaching this sermon today, he would tell us that the information that we've received over the last several weeks is sufficient for us to love our city. But now if we want to be a church that loves our city, we have to go do it. We have to put it into practice in our lives. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to go from what it means to understand that God wants us to love our city and love our neighbor to see some examples of what that looks like because it looks different in every person's life. It doesn't have to look one way. I want to give us three examples today of people that are putting it into action. Because we, we live in a culture that thinks that making a difference is just a social media post and nothing more. My friends, if you care enough only about a cause to make a social media post, but you don't care to actually get involved or do anything beyond that, then you don't care very much. And you can't uh, you can argue with people on social media about your beliefs until you're blue in the face, but if you do nothing else, then your energy is wasted because you aren't changing anyone's mind. And furthermore, it's not a great way to love your city and love your neighbor. We have to do something more. We have to act. We have to show what we believe by how we live and how we love. So the Bible is full of, of these examples of people that have loved their city. We talked about Jonah a couple weeks ago and how he did it wrong. He, he really got it wrong. God used him. God redeemed people through him, but his attitude was all wrong. We talked about Abraham and how he got it right. We've talked about Daniel and the Good Samaritan. But today I want to give you three examples of different ways that people have loved their city, different personalities that God used, different assignments that were given to them. There's not just one way. God can use your personality and your gifts and your talents and combine it to accomplish his purpose in the city. Because our heart and our desire with this, this sermon series is not for us to have some kind of campaign. We've given you some tools for you to, to get involved in loving your neighbor. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we talked about these cards that you can use to invite someone to come and sit with you and share with them about the church. That's great. But if all the results from this is just that we give out three of these cards and then we check it off our list and we're done, then that's really not what God is talking about. He really wants us to become a part of our life, who we are, that we are people that are committed to loving the people that are around us. 
regardless of whether we agree with them, regardless of, of how they think or believe, we've got to love them. We've got to, to, to care about them. That's the whole principle of the story of the Good Samaritan. It wasn't that they had the same ideologies, the same theologies. It was vastly different. But God pointed out the person that went the extra mile, that crossed the street to make a difference in the life of someone that he probably didn't even like. We have to do it in our lives. We talked last week about these cards, how you could pray for some of our city and state leaders. There's still four or five of them back there if you didn't get a chance to do that. But these are already addressed and stamped, and it's an opportunity for you to just pray for them for a couple days throughout the week. And then you could write a message on there and tell them, hey, I prayed for you. I want you to know that, that uh, we, we are so thankful for how you serve this city, the state, whatever it is. And God can use you through that to pray for our city. But it's not just about those simple things. It's got to become a lifestyle that we embrace it says, I'm going to look for every opportunity to make a difference in my world. So I want to give you three examples of that today. And the first of those is that we have to learn to love like Ezra. You have got to learn to love like Ezra. Ezra was a prophet who had a specific task of calling the nation of Israel back to the word of God. His calling was to preach. His calling was to call the people to prayer, to worship, and to repentance. He was a spiritual restorer. Ezra 7 verse 10 says this, For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord. It doesn't stop there. It says, and to do it. That's important. Because we can, we can have all the knowledge, but if we don't do it, it's not worth it. Study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So Ezra was a ministry leader. He was, uh, this is similar to my calling and the role that I believe that God has for me to, to study the Word of God, to do it and live it out of my life, to teach the Bible, to call people back to God. Now, I'm not talking about being controlling and manipulative about the things of God. Oliver Wendell Holmes, he once said that the great act of faith is when a man decides that he is not God. There's a cartoon, and we're talking about going into our church business meeting uh, next week. This cartoon I thought was appropriate. It says this. So the vote is as follows. Larry, Ruth, Dan, Sid, and Marsha are for the proposal, but God and I are against it. God's not called us to play God. But God can use us to love people and to be a spiritual restorer in our city and in the lives of people. There's some people here in this room that when I talk about loving like Ezra, I talk about him being a spiritual leader, you all of a sudden are like, I picked the wrong day to come because that's not what God has for me. I'm, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. God hasn't called me to preach or to teach or to be a pastor, and that's fine. But there are some people here in this room that maybe you feel a call to be an Ezra, that you have sensed that God is calling you to be a spiritual leader and to restore the spiritual condition of our city. In fact, in this church, we have several people that have sensed this calling and have taken measures to prepare themselves. I love that we get the opportunity to partner with Kai Alpha and Derek and Sonia are here and a part of this church. They have a calling, like Ezra, to be spiritual leaders and restorers of the university campus that lies within this city. What an incredible calling that God has placed on their life to, to, to be a light to shine in a dark place. There's others here. Hannah that opened our service this morning and welcomed everybody here. Our youth pastor, she sensed this call while she was in high school and began to prepare herself, became a minister, and she's using that, those gifts and answering the call of God on her life. There's others in this church that right now have sensed the call to ministry, and they're in the process of studying and preparing to answer God's call and, and to, to be involved in ministry at that level. I want to encourage you, if you sense that call in your life, even if you haven't accepted it yet, 
Just be obedient to him. Don't be afraid to give up the American dream to obey what God is calling you to do. You'll never regret it. Be obedient to the voice of God. Others of you, the thought of being the spiritual leader, like I said, it terrifies you. And right now, you're thinking that if that's what I'm asking you to do today, and, and, and that looks like you have to be an Ezra, be a spiritual leader, and, and involved in spiritual restoration, then you're up a creek without a paddle because the thought of that freaks you out. Well, that's okay. Because God uses different personalities and different callings and different assignments for different people. Not everyone is called to be a pastor. I believe we're all called to be missionaries to the places that God has placed us. But not only is it important that some of us will be called to love like Ezra, but God's going to call some of us to love like Nehemiah. Nehemiah 1, verse 3 through 4, it says this, They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And then in verse 10, it tells us, Nehemiah says, I was the cupbearer to the king. More people will likely relate to this loving like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was called to a social renewal and restoration. He was just a business guy. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a pastor. He wasn't an evangelist. That was Ezra's role. They worked together in some areas, but God didn't call Nehemiah to preach, but to use his organizational skills and his influential relationships to renew and restore the city, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Nehemiah is an example to us of a layperson that didn't teach, wasn't a preacher, and wasn't really called to spiritual ministry leadership, but he was used by God to change people's lives. God wanted him to use the skills that he'd given him to rebuild the broken down walls. Jerusalem's walls needed to be rebuilt because they had been torn down by the Babylonians. But there was more that needed to happen than just the physical walls of a city being rebuilt. People's worth and values of God's chosen people were in need of rebuilding. Nehemiah understood this. He recognized that for the, the exploited and the abused and the enslaved city dwellers of Jerusalem, that they'd been beaten down by the Babylonians, rebuilding the wall carried more significance than just physical security. This was a new identity for them. This was a fulfillment of God's promise, and for some of them, a revelation of God to them. That God hadn't forgotten where they were, as I believe God spoke today during our worship time for people here in this place. This was bigger than, than Nehemiah just securing funding for a wall. He could have gotten a line of credit, maybe gone to the Persians. He could have had a professional wall builder come in and, and discuss the different types of walls that could have been built and then presented it to the poor and oppressed people of Israel. But that's not what God called him to do. And he didn't do that. He got the people together. He got on their level. He loved and he served them. He used his God-given organizational leadership skills to approach people not as victims, but as a people with a capacity to change their own situation. Not just to do it for them, but help others to accomplish that as well. Sometimes we get biblical superhero syndrome. That's what I like to call it. Anyone ever had biblical superhero syndrome? We, we, we like to think that God only uses extraordinary people. That God has these superstar people that he chose to use in the Bible, and we read stories about them, and they're, they're just these amazing people. They're, they might as well be saints, and, and they do miraculous things, and that's why God chose to use them. But that could be the furthest thing from the truth. The reality is that ordinary people become extraordinary when they say yes to God. Did you hear that? Ordinary people become extraordinary when they say yes to God. 
God used all kinds of different people. He used Ezra in one way. He used Nehemiah in another way. Neither one of them was perfect. God also chose to use Noah, who was a drunk. He used Abraham, who considered himself to be too old. He used Isaac, that was a daydreamer. He used Jacob, that was a liar. Leah apparently was ugly. God still used her. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson had long hair. Oh, my. And he was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Don't try that. <laughs> Won't go well for you today. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. I think all of us in this room will fit in just fine. God can use us, ordinary people, in extraordinary ways when we choose to say yes to God. We need Nehemiahs to go and create jobs and commerce in neighborhoods that need them. We need Nehemiahs to go be a part of the local government and advocate for these folks and fight for justice in their lives. We need Nehemiahs to go be advocates in schools. And we need doctors to be Nehemiahs to go in and start up high-quality health care clinics and top-notch health care for a reasonable price in these neighborhoods. We need you to use the gifts and the skills and the talents and the influence that God has given you to influence our city and our world in those ways through those things that God has given you. So while God is calling some of you to bring about spiritual restoration and renewal in this city, I believe that God is calling others of you just to use the gifts and the talents that he's given you to bring about influence and renewal. But in addition to spiritual renewal and social restoration, like Ezra and Nehemiah, there's, there's another call, I believe. I believe there's even more, but we're going to look at one more today. And that's that we've got to learn to love like Esther. We've got to learn to love like Esther. Esther was a young Jewish girl who found herself in the court of a Persian king. How she got there was a pretty dirty and ugly story. It's not exactly how you may have learned in Sunday school. You probably should go read that story if you want to know how it went down. But she didn't choose it. It was pretty messy. Go read about it in the book of Esther and be ready to be mind blown. She was a woman that God raised up and made her queen so that she could use her influence to completely change the culture of a pagan nation. In Esther 4.14, there's a verse that will be familiar to many of you where Esther is given the instruction and told, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. God can use anybody. He chooses to use us. But we're not going to hold up the, God, the plans of God. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you've come into the royal position for such a time as this. Esther's the only book in the Bible where the name of God isn't mentioned. Now why would our Bible have a book in it that doesn't mention the name of God? It could be any number of reasons, but I believe that part of it is because God wanted to show us that he has placed you in a company or on a university campus or in a career where his name may be never mentioned, but he still works in you behind the scenes, through you, to bring about influence for the glory of his name. Where Ezra was a spiritual leader that brought spiritual renewal, Nehemiah was a social leader that brought justice and social restoration, Esther was a cultural leader that, that brought about a different kind of restoration. 
A lot of people fit in this category. This is when people just like you, they view their jobs, they view the circumstances that they find themselves in, they view the organizations that they're a part of as an opportunity from God to do something to accomplish his will. Whether it's in the marketplace or arts or educational system, as a place to wield their influence and change the culture of a company for the glory of God, and not just as a cash cow to produce money for their own desires and pleasures. What if we woke up to go to work tomorrow and went to our jobs, not just to make a living, but to make a difference? And we realize that we are where we are because God wants to work behind the scenes and through you to shift the culture around you. That there's nobody else that may have the opportunity to be where you are and to go where you go and to have the relationships that you have. And God wants to use you for such a time as this to bring about something that's going to make a difference in the lives of other people. Esther's, I don't care if you're an artist. If you're an artist, be a great artist. If you're a musician, be a great musician. A film student, a businessman, a fashion designer, a school teacher, a mountain cement employee, or a stay-at-home mom. Just don't go to work and be mediocre. Go and be the best at what you do. Go write the best music in Wyoming. Go be the best employee in your company. Be the best student in your class. Be the most passionate and godly and caring mother in your neighborhood so that you'll have much influence in your life. And it's just natural for people to turn to you and see like it says, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I recently heard a story of a person called to bring about cultural renewal. He was an executive of a big company, recruited heavenly out of college. He, he went to this company, was there three years, and received six promotions in three years. But at the same time, he was threatened to be fired four times because of his public faith. Unfortunately, this is rare because we have two different kinds of extremes oftentimes. We have people that are sloppy workers and really don't have a good work ethic and they don't represent God well through the way that they do their job, but they want to tell everybody about God. Please don't. We'd rather not. Or at least tell them you go to First Baptist. I don't know. <laughs> then we've got other people that do really well and work with excellence and, and really represent God well through their work ethic and through the way that they do their job, but they refuse to share anything about him in their life. It's, it's unfortunate that, that, that we have sloppy workers that slack on the job that are vocal about their faith and people that are really good at what they do but never say a word and no one would know about their faith. Your work ethic is every bit uh, as much of a testimony as you wear in your faith on your sleeve. Go honor God by the way you do your job well. But this guy, he was a leader in productivity. He brought great value to his team and company. He was outperforming everyone else. So when, when uh, he started telling people around him what Jesus had done in his life, his bosses had no clue what to do with him. Isn't that a great problem to create? He was valuable to the company and he was changing the culture. When you get up to go to work, you don't have to be bored. You don't have to be bored out of your mind. You can have two goals when you go to work tomorrow. Number one, I'm going to be the best employee in the company so that my influence is respected. Number two, I'm going to use that influence to change things in the environment for difference. I'm, going to, I'm not going to just make a living. I'm going to make a difference. Many of you here might have heard of a company named Chick-fil-A. Others of you might have not because we unfortunately don't have one. And I'm not bitter. I'm just stating the facts. Chick-fil-A, their mission statement says this. To glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us to have a positive influence on all who come in contact with Chick-fil-A. 
This is a company that wants their fried chicken to be so good that when you eat it, God is glorified. Isn't that amazing? I love it. Chick-fil-A is a blatantly Christian company. And wherever you go, even in some of the, the most anti-religious cities on the planet, Denver, Colorado, Austin, Texas, doesn't matter. Wherever you find a Chick-fil-A, there's usually a line wrapped around the building. How in the world does a Christian company like that influence entire cities of organic food eating, exercise crazed people to eat, get them to eat fried chicken on a biscuit for breakfast? They do it. It's because they make the best fried chicken on the planet. That's how they do it. What would that look like in your life to have that kind of mission statement? We want to do what we do so well that God gets glorified in the process. Let me tell you a story about Dan Cathy, president of Chick-fil-A. Some of you will remember. He was being interviewed by a, a reporter named Shane Windemeyer. This was a gay man who was trying to catch him in his words, and he already had some wheels turning against the Cathy family and against Chick-fil-A. Dan Cathy was unaware of that. He agreed to this interview. And so he was asked a question during the course of this interview on what his view was on marriage. He responded that he believed in the marriage in the traditional sense of the word, that it was one man and one woman, and that was his personal belief. And this interview created a media frenzy, and the world went nuts over what he said. He was labeled as homophobic and a bigot and all this kind of stuff, which was never the reality behind who Dan Cathy is or what he believes. He simply responded to a question about his personal views. Many of you are aware that Chick-fil-A closes on Sundays, despite the fact that there's been tons of research done that proves that they lose millions of dollars by being closed, but they're still somehow, what the research can't discover is why, they're one of the, the top grossing fast food restaurants still in the country. They allow their personal views, their, their views on, on what the Lord has asked them to do to shape and govern how they live their lives and how they run their business. Well, this frenzy went on and they slandered Dan Cathy and the Chick-fil-A organization they called for a boycott of Chick-fil-A, and at the same time, the Christian community decided it wasn't going to stand for a Christian company to be forced out of business because of a high moral standard. And so a political Christian leader rallied people, and they set a counter-protest to support Chick-fil-A on the day that the protest was supposed to happen. And what happened is, as many of you may know, Chick-fil-A had record profits. The, the lines wrapped around the building multiple times. People were waiting an hour for a chicken sandwich because they wanted to support Chick-fil-A. What a lot of people don't realize about that story, and the part that really wasn't reported, was that Dan Cathy was not for the counter-protest. He, in fact, said, don't do it. He said, you can't fight fire with fire, and the last thing he wanted was to make a bigger issue out of something that it already was, but it was too late. The protest and the counter-protest went on, so he instructed his managers across the country to, to respond in kindness to those that were protesting, to give them free lemonade and cookies, and, and to offer them whatever they needed to be kind to them and not to be harsh to them in any way. While this protest was going on, Dan Cathy set up another appointment with Sean Windemeyer who wrote this seething article about him that caused all this frenzy. He didn't blame him. He didn't cuss him out. He didn't accuse him of anything. He just asked him to tell him about his life and his own belief system. Tell me why you believe what you believe. Tell me about your family. Dan Cathy didn't change his stance, but he was willing to listen to someone that had a total different belief system than his own. Well, that meeting led to another meeting, led to phone calls and text messages 
led to Shane Windemeyer being invited as a personal guest of Dan Cathy to the Chick-fil-A Bowl game on New Year's Eve. We have a picture of that here of the two of them together. How in the world could Dan Cathy allow this guy to come and, and watch a football game with him? How could this journalist, Sean Lindemeyer, go and, and be at the Chick-fil-A Bowl that he had called other people to boycott because it was associated with Chick-fil-A? Well, several weeks later, we found out a little bit about it. Shane Windemeyer wrote another article entitled, My Coming Out as a Friend of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. And it was an article about Shane Windemeyer coming out in support of this man that he had called protests against and their, and their company. He called off all the protests and all the campaigns against the Kathy family and against Chick-fil-A. The article, I encourage you to go read it. You can, you can do a Google search on that article, coming out in support of my friendship with Dan Kathy and Chick-fil-A. You'll pull it up, you can read the whole thing, and it'll, it'll bring you to tears. I want to share just a part of it this morning. This journalist said this, through all this, Dan and I shared respectful, enduring communication and built trust. His demeanor was always one of kindness and openness. Even when I continued to directly question his public actions throughout the conversations, Dan expressed a sincere interest in my life, wanting to get to know me on a personal level. He wanted to know about where I grew up, my faith, my family, and even my husband, Tommy. In return, I learned about his wife and kids, and I gained an appreciation for his devout belief in Jesus Christ and his commitment to being a follower of Christ more than just being a Christian. Dan expressed regret and genuine sadness when he heard of people being treated unkindly in the name of Chick-fil-A, but he offered no apologies for his genuine beliefs about marriage. And in that, we had a great commonality. We were each entirely ourselves. We both wanted to be respected and for others to understand our views. Neither of us could or would change. It was not possible. We were different, but in dialogue, there was progress. That came about by someone just loving someone who disagreed with them. By being willing to have dialogue and to try to understand the other person and, and loving a neighbor that believes differently, Dan Cathy made a difference in the world around him. Jesse, if you go ahead and come and begin to play. Today I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you. Some of you here today, maybe you feel like God is calling you to be an Ezra. He's given you a spiritual mantle, a, a spiritual restoration. That's the calling that you have. You sense that you're supposed to study the word of God and to live it out and to give instruction to other people how they're supposed to live and encourage them along the way. And that's great. We need some Ezra's, but we also need some Nehemiah's. And I believe that there's some people here today that you sense a call of God on your life to be a Nehemiah. That God's given you relationships, that he's given you abilities, he's given you gifts and talents, that he wants to use you to, to rebuild the city, to love your neighbors through those gifts and through those talents. Some of you here are Esthers. God has placed you strategically in a situation and given you an opportunity that maybe you don't even fully understand. You don't know why that you have that opportunity. You don't know why you're, you're placed in that situation, but God wants to use you in the midst of that for such a time as this to make a difference in the world around you. Some people here today that just like Dan Cathy, God wants to use you in a, in a world that maybe believes differently than you do just to set an example. Not to force your views on anybody else, but just to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to do things differently. If it costs us money, we're going to do things differently. If it, if it causes people to speak negatively about it, we're not going to return that negativity to them in like manner. We're going to love them anyway and keep on with how God's called us to live. 
We're going to make a difference in the world around us by loving our city and loving our neighbor. No matter if you're the spiritual leader or the social leader or the cultural leader, God has an assignment for you. It's a different assignment for every person. It'd be awesome if I could just line you up and say, okay, go start with fried chicken place. You go preach the gospel. You go be a school teacher. You go do... It'd be great and terrible, but God wants to reveal it to you himself. God's got a plan and assignment for you. He's got incredible things that he wants to use you in. Not because you're an extraordinary person and you have some superhuman ability, but God simply wants to use you in an extraordinary way if you'll be obedient to him. When God shows you what his assignment is for you, he speaks to you really simply. He says, just go and do it. Just go and do it. Go and live it. Don't just know it. Go and live it. Love like this. Love like Ezra. Love like Nehemiah. Love like Esther. Love like Dan Kathy. Love in the way that God has, has allowed you to love. In the position that he's placed you in. A position of influence. A place where other people may not be able to go. In a classroom that maybe uh, there, there's not an Ezra that's going to be able to go in that classroom. But God's placed you inside that classroom to make a difference. Maybe there's not an Ezra, a spiritual leader, or a pastor that's, that's going to go on your school campus, but God's placed you there, and he's given you an assignment. He wants to use your personality and the gifts and the talents that you have to make a difference in the world around you. Today, will you accept that assignment and be a restorer and a difference maker? Instead of just knowing what God wants us to do, will you be willing to live it out? If that's you here in this place, I'm going to ask you just to stand right where you are and just say, God, I'm willing. I'm willing to be used by you. I'm willing to allow my gifts and my talents to be used for your kingdom. I understand that you've placed me strategically where you've placed me, and I'm going to make a difference in that place. God, whatever it is you have for me, God, I'm willing. Will you use me? If that's you, will you just stand up all over this place, just right where you are? I'm not going to ask you to come forward or do anything else. Just simply respond. Say, God, whatever it is you have, whatever it is you're calling me to, I want to make a difference in this city. I want you in your own words just to respond to the Lord, just to make that commitment. Jesse's going to lead us in this chorus for just a second. Would you just in your own words begin to tell God, God, I'm willing. God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll be who you want me to be. God, if I've been doing it wrong, if, if my actions haven't lined up with who you want me to be, if they haven't been actions that demonstrate love to my city and love to my neighbor, God, show me the way that you would have me to live this life. Let's just take a moment and make that commitment to the Lord.
to know what God wants us to do, but it's to be willing to say, I'll do it. It's one thing to stand inside a room of like-minded people and say, God, I want to show your love to the world around me. God, I'm not going to respond in hatred toward those that, that believe differently than me. God, I want to use my influence. It's another thing to step outside of this room and to begin to live that. When you wake up to go to work or class in the morning to live out a life that says, you know what, I'm going to live differently so that people around me would see the way that I live my life and my actions would glorify the Father that's in heaven. Today, I believe, is you're making the first step of saying, God, I'm willing. God, speak to me. God, show me where you want me to go. Show me what you want me to do. That God will, and it's up to you to act on that. And sometimes taking the first step is so hard. Sometimes allowing God to use you in a way that you've never allowed God to use you before is an incredible leap of faith. But I want to encourage you just to take that step, just to trust God. Obey what he's, he's speaking to you in your life. Use your influence where you are. It doesn't mean you've got to stand up on top of a, a table in your lunchroom and begin to scream and preach about Jesus. That's probably not going to be super effective, but God may use you through a relationship that you have on that campus to share what he's done in your life. God may use a situation that he's brought you through that may have been incredibly difficult for you at the time and you under, you don't understand why God would cause you to have to go through that, why circumstances had to be the way that they were, but God wants to use you to minister to other people that are going through similar situations and circumstances in their life. God may want to use you to write a song that's going to change a city. God may want to use you to speak words that you, you don't even make sense to you and you don't fully understand what they mean, but they change the life of somebody else that hears them because it's not your words, but God's words. I want to pray a blessing over you this morning, those of you that have responded, that you want to use the influence that God has given you and the position, the place where he's positioned you to make a difference. And this, the, my prayer for you is this. May your ears be open to hear the voice of God calling you. May your eyes be open to see where God has positioned you. May you know your purpose and live a life that matters to the one who gave you life. I pray that you would see yourself as the ones chosen by God for a high calling of priestly work, chosen to be God's instruments to do his work and to tell others of the night and day difference that he's made for you. I pray that God's love would fill you up to overflowing so that you can't contain it and have no choice but to share it. God, help us not just to know it, but to live it. God, I pray for every person here. Lord, you see exactly where they are. Lord, their hearts are willing to hear and to obey what you would have for them. God, I pray for every single one of us that we would clearly know our assignment. Your word says that your sheep will know the shepherd's voice, and they hear it, and they obey it. And that's simply what we want today, God, to hear your voice, to know that you're speaking to us, and for us to be able to live it out. God, help our lives to match the things that we say, that we believe, that we wouldn't be found hypocritical, saying one thing with our mouth, singing one thing in a song off a screen, but living a life completely different from those things that we say that we believe. God, help us to love those who have differences of opinion than us. God, help us not to go to work tomorrow to make a living, but to make a difference. Lord, I pray that you'd use students that are on the university campus tomorrow, God to shine a light in a place where no one else may have an opportunity to shine. Lord, I pray for high school students in this room today that you would use them in a powerful way to make a difference in their school. That many would see and know who you are. They would see that you are a God that's alive and well and living 
moving and using us in powerful ways. God, help us not to look for extraordinary people to accomplish feats for you, but help us ordinary people to simply be obedient and in turn do extraordinary things through the power of your Holy Spirit that lives 